0: Hello, I'm Brian Hubbard. And I'm Mick McTaggart. And we are What Doctors Don't Tell You and Get Well, the new brand name of the title in the UK. Uh, some very important, very interesting news items for you this week. So without further ado, let's begin. Now, a few of you may have seen in your papers that quite recently, a whole consignment of Zantac, which is for heartburn, were withdrawn. And this wasn't just in the UK, it was also in France and Canada and even Bangladesh, while existing stocks in the UK were even quarantined. Now, why was that? Well, because they did a spot check on these drugs coming into the countries and discovered that they contained a carcinogen, which is a cancer-causing agent called NDMA. Um, now, you might say, well, that's just an isolated case, doesn't matter, but it's not an isolated case. This has become a growing problem that uh, is, has been going on for some time. Uh, last year, a blood pressure medication called valsartan was also withdrawn because yet again, it was found to contain NDMA. Now, um, the health regulators reckon that humans can be exposed to about one microgram of NDMA yeah, and be safe. But the consignment of valcitan last year contained 17 micrograms. And again, the health of officials are trying to play this one down. But in fact, um, other people have done some research into this, and they reckon that it could be causing about 3,500 cancers or so uh, per per about a million doses or something like that. Um, no one quite knows what is going on. That's, that was the estimate. And because the thing is, these people, these drugs are being prescribed in their millions. 15 million prescriptions for Zantac and 49 million for Lozartan, which is the uh, marketing name for Valsartan, were in just one year and just in the US. So we have no idea what's really going on here. But I'll tell you why it's happening. Um, it's all to do with the way the drugs industry works and it's to do with drugs known as generics now generic drugs are drugs that anyone can manufacture because it means they're out, outside of the patent and anyone can do it and all these drugs are generics in fact they reckon about 90% of all drugs that are prescribed are generics now there's less profit in generic drugs so what do manufacturers do they ship the manufacturing out to developing countries or, or, or other countries such as China and India. And no one's checking the where they're getting the, the products from that make up the drugs or indeed uh, the, the actual plants themselves for for safety and levels and all the rest of it. And um, in fact, they reckon in America, the FDA, which is the health regulator there, is checking just 1% of these drugs coming into the US. So no one really has a clue how how prevalent the problem is. It seems to be pretty prevalent, nor do they know how dangerous these drugs are and what are they doing to people. No one has any idea about that either but uh, when you're looking at one microgram a day exposure and this one pill had 17 micrograms and you take one pill every day for 30 days your exposure is very very high and NDMAs is, is a carcinogen which actually is in cigarette smoke and it's also in barbecued meat But um, to give you an idea, for 17 micrograms, you'd have to eat 48 pounds, that's 21 kilogram of bacon in one sitting. So it's an extraordinary situation, Lynn, that no one has any controls over this at all. And um, there aren't the resources to carry out these spot checks, but people are taking prescription drugs that are filled with a carcinogen.
1: Well, I think it's shocking, and I'm not surprised, because mm. over the years, uh, the Food and Drug Administration in the U.S. has been um, defanged of any kind of real mm. authority to mm. do this this sort of spot-checking and regulatory um, work. Um, the problem is, over the years, um, as Congress has decided not to fund the Food, administ- uh, the food and Drug Administration, but to allow drug companies to do that, what they have done over time is place people who are former drug, uh, drug employees or, um, or people who are friendly to the industry in there. And so rather than looking at their job as regulation, they are now the friend of big pharma, mm. essentially. Mm. And mm. so it's not surprising to me that they don't really check um, hopefully with this kind of, um, disclosure and these kinds of, um, horror stories, we will now see the, the FDA take a little more responsibility, but don't hold your breath as long as the FDA is funded by the very industry it's supposed to investigate. As long as the people inside the FDA are former big farmer employees or people who are very friendly to the industry, we aren't going to have that watchdog we really need. And it's not just about contaminated drugs. This is true across the board with, um, with approval processes. Now they are ever, ever more lightweight as you know, drugs are pushed onto the market without regulatory control. So basically what we need to do with the FDA is drain the swamp.
0: Hmm. I and mean, this is only just beginning to play out because um, so far there have been 140 lawsuits filed against the Chinese manufacturing plant in U.S. courts. And apparently there's another 500 cases in the wings, waiting to be heard. And um, in all these cases, the people did indeed go on to develop cancer. And um, the um, US Congress has got sort of interested in this now and are looking to either set up an independent authority that does do these proper checks on overseas uh, plants, or to try and beef up the FDA themselves. But as you say, don't hold your breath.
1: Yeah, we need a new FDA and mm. one that is not controlled by big pharma. Mm.
0: A cup of tea, right? The great British brew. You know, and there's wisdom in what we're doing, Lynn, because apparently, according to one piece of research out of Singapore, drinking a cup of tea, at least four cups, a week, anyway, and apparently it can be any sort of tea—green, black, oolong tea—they don't mind. Will actually improve your neural signaling in the brain, which could well result in you suffering less, from, less reduces your risk rather for dementia and Alzheimer's. And that's what they reckon. I mean, it's a very, very small study. It's just thirty-six people were 60 years and older and who were whose brains were scanned using MRI. And they discovered, though, that over the years of drinking tea, their brains started to develop differently from non-tea drinkers' brains. And they said that neural signaling had improved as a result of drinking the tea. I mean, I suppose you could take it with a either a pinch of salt or a cup of tea, I'm not sure which. I mean, there are so many variables, aren't there, which could make this um, rather uh, dubious research. I don't know how they could isolate tea drinking from everything else these people are doing. I don't know. But that's what they reckon is going on. And, um, you know, well, we've been doing it for centuries, haven't we? So, we, and apart from you lot, who chucked it all in the harbour. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: If we knew this kind of information, you we wouldn't have, it. It. wouldn't have done it. You would have done it. Absolutely not. No, but this is interesting. And I think, you know, there are particular things in tea. Mm. Tea is known to be health-giving in lots of other regards, too. It's got, of course, great antioxidants. Mm. And there are numerous things that, you know, help with all kinds of things, with ageing, with tea. So Mm. it's not surprising that Mm. we found that it's also good for the brain.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's lots of health benefits they claim from drinking tea, and especially green tea and cholesterol lowering and all the rest of it i mean one wit did actually say to us well if that was true we wouldn't have any cases of alzheimer's in britain because everyone drinks tea all the time which i think sort of rather sort of <laughs> also draws up the problems with this sort of research that of course there are so many variables at play and diet and all sorts of other issues come into play which obviously makes the tea drinking on its own rather hard to Prove as being the the preventative that this research claims it to be,
1: yeah. I mean, you'd really have to say, well, these are people on a really good diet mm. who are not having too much sugar, mm. who are not um who are eating, you know really healthily, a very, very high degree of plants um in their food, et cetera, et cetera, to really compare and people who have good gut health too. And that's the only way you'd really be able to compare in some sort of exactly. decent way.
0: Exactly, I mean, It was not the first piece of research that's come up with this conclusion. Early research found something similar and actually even thought that tea drinking would halve the chances of cognitive decline over the years. So, I don't know. I'm just gonna carry on drinking tea anyway.
1: Oh, well, let's drink to it. Please. Okay, thank you. The eagle-eared
0: listeners amongst uh, amongst you would have noticed that we spoke about tea drinking and how it could uh, reduce the risk of Alzheimer's dementia. Well, there's something else you can do. You see the seamless and orchestrated way this vlog is put together, these quite extraordinary really and the new piece of research is that the dietary supplement choline can have a similar effect and reduce the risk of alzheimer's which is great news but not so good news for vegetarians and vegans because they are the 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 nutrients actually found mainly in chicken liver eggs grass-fed steak and milk which of course for vegans they can't consume, but um, they can take the supplements. Um, If you are a vegetarian, you could also eat your Brussels sprouts and wheat germ and get your choline that way. Um, You know, it's it's early research, Lynn, um, and thus far carried out amongst the poor old laboratory mice rather than people, Um, but they think that it uh, helps helps the brain to function more healthily. and, uh, and which in turn stops the build-up of these plaques, which are of course so characteristic of Alzheimer's uh, itself. So um, the one problem with it, when I looked at the research, is that to be honest with you, people who just take the daily supplements of choline may not be getting enough, because the um, Arizona researchers who carried out this work reckon that, in fact, you need to take four times the level of the RDA, or recommended daily intake, to have this protective effect. Well, you you know, you talk about 550 micrograms, MGs of, of uh, choline, but they're reckoning you need to take over 2,000 MGs to have any effect. But there you are. I mean, it seems quite interesting, and maybe a dietary supplement that could be Added to the daily regimen with no great harm?
1: Absolutely. And I mean, this underscores that Alzheimer's mm. isn't just a characteristic of old age. Mm. It, it's not just something that happens to all of us. It's something that happens because of some sort of environmental insult, you know, that we are getting too much of something like aluminum or not enough of something like certain foods. And foods and certain supplements can really help um, prevent cognitive decline and Alzheimer's. So it's no matter what age you are, and the younger the better, it's really important to clean up your diet and to make sure that you've got enough of the right nutrients um, because this is going to be really important as you age.
0: Well... The advisory has it that we should take an aspirin a day to prevent a heart attack. But um, yet again, it's it's probably questionable advice. Um, Some new research has just come out of Canada, which reckon that it really doesn't have any decent effect at all and doesn't prevent any heart problems. And not only that, but it's the risk of it causing stomach bleeding, serious stomach bleeding, which can result even in death, is far greater than any benefit. So therefore, the risks outweigh the the benefits of taking aspirin a day. Um, They did a a, a research, quite a big research, um, amongst Albertans, the state of Alberta in Canada, Um, And they found that most were very dutifully following the health advice of taking their aspirin every day. In fact, 40% of Albertans over the age of 50 were doing so, Um, even though they didn't have any heart problems. And um, nonetheless, they were doing that. But um, they found that um, it really wasn't making any difference at all to these people, whether they took aspirin or not. And people in either group, whether they who are aspirin group or the non-aspirin group has similar levels of heart disease and heart attacks. Um, so, and and of course, as we say, those who were taking the aspirin were suffering the the stomach bleeding. And I think aspirin has all sorts of other problems associated with it as well, including more likely to create strokes and goodness knows what else. Uh, besides and the researchers say look you know you shouldn't have to take aspirin far far better they say to stop smoking if you are a smoker and eat a Mediterranean diet and exercise. is by far the best thing to do. I mean, it has an echo as well. Another piece of research I was looking at last week about statins with the cholesterol-lowering drugs. Again, people were told, well, you should take a statin a day. And research coming out of Ireland says, no, you really shouldn't. It has no protective effect at all. It's only for people who have an existing heart problem who should consider either statin or aspirin. But if you don't, You know, these are drugs that do have nasty side effects. And really, again, the benefits are outweighed by the risks.
1: Absolutely, and you know, there's probably no area um, that has so much um, um, inaccurate information about what to do as the heart. Um, And that really has to do with drugs as well as um, as well as lifestyle, is kind of shocking. We're still hearing recommendations to eat a low-fat diet. Nobody is looking at sugar, which is the real source of it, processed foods, processed foods, the real source of heart disease. But when you go through the whole coterie of drugs for heart, you find statins, as you say, still pushed on patients, even though studies demonstrate, that it doesn't do what it says. It has a lot of um, side effects like muscle weakness and worse. And also the whole premise on which people have taken statins is the idea that certain foods cause cholesterol and cholesterol is the thing that brings on um, heart attacks is wrong. It's never been proven. Mm -hmm. So you've got that. You've got blood pressure drugs and the level of high blood pressure that kicks them off. That changes all the time. It's like a it's like a skirt length. It goes up and down depending mm. on on the weather and the fashion. Um, so you've got that plus a coterie of side effects. Um, even with the so-called safe blood pressure drugs like um, like diuretics, you know they can cause all kinds of. They can wreak havoc with men. They cause mm. serious potency problems. Mm. And then you've got. All of those other drugs that are given in combination because oftentimes um, heart uh, patients are told essentially if one drug's good, two drugs are better. So they'll give a calcium channel blocker and a beta blocker together thinking that this is going to work synergistically and it doesn't. It actually can work antagonistically. And all of those kinds of things and including the idea that diet really isn't going to make a difference um, that um, at least a a low sugar diet isn't going to make a difference, which is completely wrong. There are so many dietary studies demonstrating that heart disease can be completely reversed and the heart normalized through diet. Mm. So, you know, our rule of thumb is, unless you absolutely have to, Really avoid those kinds of just-in-case drugs because you're letting yourself open for side effects without necessarily any benefit.
0: Mm. And one last fact to finish off with that. In uh, 1987, heart disease was the number one killer in the West, right? And at that time, they had pretty relaxed um, criteria for who should take a statin. In 2016, they increased, they they made the the criteria much stricter. And as a result, for 40 people who would be taking a statin in 1987, 400 were taking it by 2016. And guess what? Heart disease is the number one killer. (laughs) Thanks, Liz. (laughs) Tread soft because we're going to talk about (gasps) vaccinations. No one's allowed to talk about vaccinations anymore, of course, because you're burnt at the stake and quite rightly too. There is no intelligent conversation that's allowed to be spoken about vaccinations because you're immediately anti-vax if you say anything. So I'm still going to talk about it, even though I'm not necessarily anti-vax and people should just make up their mind and vaccinate if they wish. But we shouldn't ignore the facts. And one fact that came across our desk the other day is that there's been a polio outbreak in the Philippines, the first in 20 years. And guess what? It's been caused by the vaccine. Who's saying this? The hysterical anti-vaxxers? No, the World Health Organization. They have confirmed that a case of polio has broken out or happened, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's been caused directly by the vaccine because the virus that was uh, caused the problem comes only from the vaccine. So they have had to admit that in fact, it was the vaccine that caused it. Now, but poor old people in the Philippines don't have a very high regard of vaccines anyway because they had a terrible business a couple of years back where uh, three children died uh, from the dengue fever vaccine. And um, and the manufacturer had to stop supplying it. So now this has happened as well. And, um, you know, guys, this is the fact. This is exactly what happened. Sorry. Mm.
1: Well, that's right. I mean, we've been writing about vaccination for 30 years. We've never told anybody not to vaccinate. But what we have done is ruthlessly investigated each and every vaccine. And here's the bottom line. Uh, Although the press don't want to talk about this anymore, they just want to say vaccines good, people who question vaccines bad. And that's pretty much all of the press now. The bottom line is some vaccines are more effective than others. Some p- vaccines are more needed than others. And some vaccines are safer than others. And virtually with polio, virtually any case of polio you hear about now is actually caused by the vaccine. And what the problem is, is the vaccine can. Replicate in in the gut. I mean, they use live vaccines and and killed vaccines mm-hmm. as well with polio, um, but with certain vaccines, the live ones, they can cause the very illness that they you know are are um, purportedly preventing, and that's you know that's been established. It's established even with the measles vaccine, another live vaccine that is. Um, that has been demonstrated to uh, be causing about a third of the so-called cases of uh, vaccine failure in the U.S. Um, One third were caused by, I believe it was U.S., were caused by the vaccine itself as a side Mm. effect to the vaccine. Mm. So what we're really saying is that there is no vaccine out there that's perfectly safe. They all have a huge list of potential side effects, but some have more than others. And as I say, some work better than others, and we will always stand up for telling you the truth and not simply taking a position. And that that truth uh, may fall where it may, mm. but it's really important for you to hear the facts and to make up your own mind based on them.
0: So autism, another major issue in the world with uh, epidemic proportions. We're about one in 50 kids, I think, are now being reported to have autism. And um, it may not be from the MMR vaccine, but something's going on. And I know you've done some research into this, Lynn, uh, for our next issue, but there's another piece of research just come out which reckons it's a disease of inflammation. Um, The children with autism have uh, very high levels of of inflammatory proteins in their brain, in the amygdala, which is the portion of the brain associated with fear, and and the prefrontal cortex. Um, And um, it's already been, interestingly, one of the proteins called IL-18 has already been linked to other inflammatory conditions such as psoriasis. But um, the researchers at Tufts, who made the discovery reckon it also plays a part in autism. I mean, they haven't got very far with this, Lynn, at the moment. Um, but if this is proved to be right in further research, it would suggest that autism can have an, it could be an immune dysfunction. I don't know. Does that tie in with what you've been discovering lately?
1: Well, we have a big cover story for December. This Mm. is a spoiler alert,
0: Mm. which
1: is reversing autism: Mm. Um, how one woman reversed her child's autism and is reversing many other children as well. Uh, And what it really demonstrates, the work that she's doing, is that yes, it is inflammation, but that there are many causes. Um, in her own son's case, she believed the, um, uh, hepatitis B vaccine kicked it off, but there were many other factors too. He had a high level of heavy metals. He had loads of other things that were causing it. And the same with many other children too. There are gut issues that happen sometimes, um, uh, caused by one thing or another. But I think until we Uh, take a multi-pronged approach and start looking at all the things in our environment. And there's loads of them that can cause this kind of inflammation, including Mm. drugs given to the mother during pregnancy. Mm. Unless we look at all of these things, Mm. we're never going to sort out autism, but there Mm. is one big bottom line, which is it can be reversed. Mm. There are many things that you can do. So, do make sure to check out our December issue.
0: Right, so that is a real uh, sort of early warning there of the December issue. And, you know, and people should say, well, I want to make sure I get that. Well, the way to make sure you get that is to subscribe. You know, wddty.com, have a look, and subscribe. and We will send that issue and maybe even this current issue to your door wherever you may live in the world. I think the last time I looked, we were delivering to over 100 countries.
1: Absolutely. And we are in 20 different languages too. But, you know, give somebody a really great holiday present. Um, The gift of health with what doctors don't tell you.
0: Oh, what a good line. I like that, Lynn. On which note, I say I'm Brian Hubbard and thank you very much for watching or listening.
1: And I'm Lynn McTaggart. We'll see you again next time.